0: recorded in a while, have we? <laughs> <laughs> Forgot what we're doing. Welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got my
1: spectacular co-host,
0: Darcy, with me this evening. Yay. How are you, Darcy?
1: I'm good. I literally just finished doing a workout, so I am feeling good. I'm feeling refreshed, and now I'm going to be like sitting here and getting cold, and then I'm going to be camping later tonight, <laughs> but it's fine. What is that drink that you are consuming? Chocolate milk. It's my Mm -hmm. go to after workout drink. After workout drink. drink. (laughs) Uh Yeah. Who would have thunk it? (laughs) Well, it's actually scientifically based. It's the best post workout drink you can have because it has the proper ratio of carbs to protein. Even though people say that
0: anybody over the age of like two shouldn't be drinking milk and that we're the only mammals on the planet that drink milk after infancy. Mm hmm. Yeah. It was a big study. It came out from uh, Indiana University, like, maybe 10 years ago, 12 years ago. And supposedly, like, 85% of the population is lactose intolerant in some way, shape, or form as well. Mm-hmm. So... Hmm. Interesting. What can I say? The science is the science. Can't argue with science, right? So, how... What's been going on with you? I feel like I haven't
1: talked to you in, like, forever. I know. It's been a minute. Um. I'm getting ready to start my new job. I start Thursday, so oh, that, how like, exciting! Yeah, so like I got my email account set up today, and I got like a million emails because it was like my supervisor like inter- sent out an email to like introduce me and everything, and then everybody responded. It was like a reply all situation. It was like, oh, ah. nice. and so um, it went to my work email and my university email because we he didn't. I guess he just included both of them just in case. Uh-huh. And so I have like 50 emails and like. 25 of them are duplicates. So, I've been like weeding through that. But uh other than that, that's kind of all I've been doing getting ready to have something to do every day again. I'm excited about it.
0: Nice. That's yeah. very exciting. Um I have exciting news. Volleyball starts tomorrow.
1: <gasps> Yay! <laughs> I'm so
0: excited. I can't even.
1: Oh my god, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. Um, I got back from Florida, which, by the way, was fabulous. It was so nice to get away. It's been so cold, and it's super windy here right now. Um, Yeah. super windy. Uh, The water is so choppy. You can probably Mm -hmm. hear it behind me. It's so loud. It's, like, smacking up against the windows in the pool room and stuff. Um, So it's really, really loud, cold icky. Um, and Florida was so nice to get away, yeah. to get the sunshine. The It was like 85, 90 degrees the whole time we were there. It was sunny and beautiful. We had magnificent sunsets. We ate bugs. I mean, what else could you ask for?
1: Yeah, I saw, I saw your Instagram. You <laughs> ate, what were they? Were they crickets? Okay, so
0: it's this drink with a, me- it's a mezcal shot and you're supposed to it's kind of like the lime tequila chaser thing okay. where you take the salt, except you eat the crickets, you take a shot, and then you chase it with a slice of orange. Huh. Yeah. So you take I like a little heard... bite, a little handful of crickets, a little sip, and then like a little thing of the orange. And the so thing I is, have the crickets the... don't taste like anything. They just taste like the mezcal. Like, they don't have flavor to them. It's just the texture is super creepy and weird. I don't yeah. like having bug skeletons in my teeth. It was creepy.
1: You're not a big exoskeleton thing. Yeah, Yeah. I'm. I'm a texture eater. So like, if it's something like, I don't like like ground meat. I don't like ground meat because I don't like. I don't think meat should crumble in your mouth. And like, I kind of feel like that would be like the same way with bugs. Like, I could feel it crumbling. I think, and that would like freak me out. It wasn't even
0: crumbling. It was like, I don't even know how to describe it. It's gross. Like, and they were Mm. little crickets. Like, probably not even a quarter. Not even a quarter of an inch long. So, like, how were they cooked? I think they were just dried. I don't think they were cooked. Oh, yeah, it was weird. It was a very strange sensation. Mike really enjoyed it and thought it so was So Is this fabulous. like a thing? I've this never heard of it before. I guess with mezcal. Huh. So I'm not a big mezcal fan. Like I don't really like the flavor of it. It's real smoky and like I don't think I've ever had mezcal. Yeah, um, it's not my favorite. Um, yeah, for sure. But I don't really care for tequila either. I just I don't, don't like the the flavor of it. Like I, I'll drink anything else, but no tequila, no mezcal. Mezcal is a lot like tequila, mm-hmm. a lot of the same like proponents and tastes and kind of flavor profiles, except it's a lot smokier.
1: Hmm. It just tastes really earthy and smoky, and it's see because so I have heard the thing about like chasing with an orange slice, but I have heard. Instead of salt, you use cinnamon. So like you lick cinnamon, you take a shot of tequila, and then you chase it with an orange slice. That's a combination I've heard.
0: I mean, there's all kinds of ways that people do it. I mean, they chase it. They they use um, tamarind on the round the rim, um, pink salt, black salt. I mean, there's all Mm. kinds of different variations of it. And we were at Disney World, so like they had all kinds of neat little flavor combinations and specials because it was there's a. I think it was a garden and something festival going on and so they oh, okay. added like extra different types of food and wines and beverages and stuff which was really fun um, nice to eat and drink and just be little piggies
1: nice in uh, the warm weather
0: yeah yeah um and you know I think I got a little overheated at a couple points and really needed to sit down and rest because it's just like that hot sun like beating down on your head and yeah. if you're not used to it then Well, and especially
1: in the humidity, which is the other thing that we have back East that sucks is like, it's just like, like just wet when you go outside, it just feels so disgusting. It wasn't
0: necessarily wet, but it was really miserable to have to wear that mask and be like trying to deal with the hot and you know, that kind of thing. (laughs)
1: Oh, Lord have mercy. Okay. Um, You want to jump into the main case for the day? I do. So I'm pretty excited to talk about this one because I knew like nothing about this person. And this is somebody that I know you have heard of, but you may not recognize the name right off the bat. Have you heard of Margaret Brown? Uh, that sounds like a
0: very common name.
1: Doesn't it? What if I said, have you heard of the unsinkable Molly Brown? Um, Yes. Okay. Same person. But I don't really so know a lot name? about it. Yeah, so I didn't either and I just was happening happening to, you know, be on one of my Wikipedia random one of your deep dives and, and into Wikipedia yeah. in the middle of the
0: night when you can't sleep? Yeah.
1: Yes, maybe. And and I was reading about the Titanic and I came across her name and so I clicked on her and there's a lot more to her than just unsinkable Molly Brown. So, um where so where in 97 you were in like high school college?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, so I was in seventh grade, so this was, like, peak time for me to experience, like, young Leonardo DiCaprio, oh right, when this movie came out. <laughs> so, like, I, how many times, did you guys see this in no, the movie theater? No,
0: I wanted okay. nothing to do with it. I was a huge Titanic fan, and I've been interested in the Titanic since I was, like, five. Have you seen the movie, no, though? Like, I, I? I've seen parts of it, but, like, I'm just, it distresses me, because, I feel like it's a sacred thing to me. Like the whole, the sinking of the Titanic, all the people that lost their lives, all that. And to turn it into a
1: romantic movie just seemed disrespectful to me, but that's just me. That's just me. I think, I'm going to say, I think you should give it a shot because there is the romance stuff and it is cheesy, blah, blah, blah. But they actually do a really good job of covering the history of the ship and the lives lost and all of that stuff. It's, it's, that part is actually, it's actually really good. Like, the movie still holds up, I'm just going to say. But I saw this thing also in a theaters. Leonardo
0: DiCaprio fan.
1: <laughs> I, I'm not currently a Leonardo DiCaprio fan. In 7th grade, I was the prime target audience for young Leonardo DiCaprio, but I'm not currently a Leonardo DiCaprio <laughs> I fan. Am. Let's get that straight. <laughs> I did it in reverse. I think he's a good actor. He is, he's he's a good actor. I don't like his like, cheesy that's... romantic
0: crap, but I actually think he's a phenomenal no, no, no. actor.
1: Well, he is. Like Inception and The Departed yeah. are amazing. But anyway, um so I saw you didn't this like movie the Wolf in of Wall Theaters. Street? <laughs> I haven't seen it. Yet. It's actually a really good movie.
0: Like yeah, I don't like it. some I've of heard the heard stuff that's in it, or like the concepts in it. But like he right. did an incredible job in that movie. But sorry, yeah. Ne- neither. And here I still nor- haven't seen
1: the Revenant either. The bear. Neither one, here nor
0: there.
1: <laughs> neither here nor there. So I. Anyway. So back to Titanic the purpose of this story today. I saw that movie at least seven times in the theater.
0: I'm not surprised. <laughs> I'm sure you're like, dee, dee, dee. the music is swelling, Celine Dion is singing, oh, yeah. and Darcy's sitting there with a huge tub of popcorn. And I'm like bawling,
1: <laughs> bawling, because, I mean, it it gets you. But anyway, <laughs> no. so Margaret Brown. Margaret Brown was actually born Margaret Margaret Tobin in 1867 in Hannibal was it Hannibal, Hannibal Missouri which is also the childhood home of Samuel Clemens better known as Mark Twain Hmm. okay okay so uh, this town actually ended up being the inspiration for the adventures of Tom Sawyer and the adventures of Huck Finn which I didn't know I don't know anything about Hannibal Uh, Missouri I've never read any of Mark Twain
0: you've never read any Mark Twain I thought that was required reading in all high school classes to read Huck Finn Mm -mm. wow okay
1: wasn't on mine anyway Um, So she actually went by the nickname Maggie and wasn't known by Molly until, like, after her death. I'm not sure if Molly is, like, a different nickname for the name Margaret, but she never never went by uh, Molly when she was alive. Interesting. Yeah. So Maggie's parents were Irish Catholic immigrants who had both been widowed from previous marriages, and they each had one daughter from their first marriage. okay? Okay. And then together they had four children in addition to Margaret. So this is a full house. Brady
0: Bunch for sure.
1: Yes. And and the Tobins were pretty progressive for the time. So Maggie which means Maggie was able to attend school until she was thirteen, which for a young girl, that's I mean, that's pretty far along. And at the age of thirteen, she had to leave school to work and help her family because there's a million kids in the house.
0: Right. Usually they would go into so, like maid service or housekeeping, mm-hmm. things like that.
1: <clears throat> yeah, so uh, she got a job working. She was in a factory uh, at this time, and this is 1880. So there's, like, no labor laws. And so she basically worked for very long days for very low wages, but that's kind of how it was. Yeah, but that in itself um, is very
0: progressive, because the factories were just starting to get to be a thing back then. Usually mm-hmm. in the, the mid to late 1800s, most people worked in the, in the service of households. They would either work in the stables, yeah. they would be housekeepers, they would. there weren't really secretarial jobs or factory jobs as the common occurrence back then until mm-hmm. the 1900s. So that was probably pretty progressive.
1: Yeah. And at the time, apparently Hannibal was kind of like a transportation hub, so like... I, I guess getting to Hannibal like there were a lot of outlets to go to other big cities like Chicago or St. Louis or whatever Mm -hmm. you know and so it was like her dream all she wanted to do was go out west so when she turned 18 she follows her brother to this mining town of Leadville Colorado and they share a two-room log cabin all right Mm -hmm. so her brother starts working in the mines Mm -hmm. and Maggie got a sewing job at a local department store and it's in Leadville in 1886 where she met and married James Joseph Brown, who's a self-educated man who worked as a mining engineer. That's interesting. All right. Cause so she's
0: getting away from the Civil War, going out west. And going west was a very romanticized sort of a oh, goal yeah. or a dream for many people living in the Midwest or the East um, during that time period. Yeah. That was like everybody, I think, kind of very – it was very romanticized, even though it was extremely difficult to to do that
1: and dangerous. Yeah. I mean, this is the, this is shortly after the the gold rush of eighteen forty nine. So Covered like, wagons. At, like you, you, yeah. So like you 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 hear go out west and you're like your eyes fill up with dollar signs and you're like I'm gonna strike it rich, yeah. like. But that's never the case, right? So if you had seen the movie, this is now where you might be thinking, oh, okay, this is where Margaret Brown becomes rich because she married into money because that's how they portray her in the movie but that's actually not the case at all.
0: Okay. What? So you mean a movie? She was a-
1: completely factually correct. I know. But she's played by Kathy Bates in the movie and it's just, she's really I do like Kathy Bates. Name. Kathy Bates is, See? is you, most should, you do need to watch the movie. But anyway, so Margaret is quoted as saying at the time, I wanted a rich man, but I loved Jim Brown. I thought about how I wanted to comfort my father and how I had determined to stay single until a man presented himself who could give to the tired old man the things I longed for him. Jim was as poor as we were and had no better chance in life. I struggled hard with myself in those days. I loved Jim, but he was poor. Finally, I decided that I'd be better off with a poor man whom I loved than with a wealthy one whose money had attracted me. So I married Jim Brown. So it's kind of also part of the deal that women marry to improve their station in life yes. during this time. Correct. You're not... you. You can't go get a doctorate or a law degree and, and make your way on your own. Like, that's not, that's not a thing. That's just, the opportunities aren't there. It's <laughs> yes. not a thing. Yeah. So she marries JJ Brown and they have two children together and they move to an area called Stumpf Town. That
0: sounds wonderful. There's an
1: F in there <laughs> Stumpf Town. And so that's closer to the mines because so it's like vacation during spot. this. Yeah, because during this time, <laughs> it, traveling between the mines and town could get pretty precarious, especially like in the winter in Colorado. Oh, yeah, you yeah. know, so you wanted to live as close to the mines as possible. In the mines in Colorado at this time were primarily used for mining silver, mm-hmm. and the Denver area was booming thanks to a couple of federal acts called one called the Bland-Allison Act of 1878, and the other called the the Sherman Silver Purchase Act of 1890. And both of these required the US government to basically purchase millions of ounces of silver each year. Mm-hmm. So we're finding so much silver in these mines that the government's like, we got to buy some of these and balance the economy. So basically, Denver becomes a boom town. And the US had just moved to the gold standard, though. So while silver mining in Colorado made everybody there wealthy, or everybody there economically stable at mm-hmm. least, the bankers back east are losing money because the continued circulation of silver lessens the value of gold which we just switched over to okay so grover cleveland the president for having two non-consecutive terms and famous for having two non-consecutive terms and nothing else and um, repealed the, the sherman silver purchase act which resulted in the dramatic decline of silver and that only made that worse because there's still a lot of silver in these mines in colorado So now you have the price of silver crashing, but you're still finding silver in the mines. Okay. So large supply, very little demand. So, what ends up happening in 1893 is Denver goes into an economic depression. And because Leadville is this mining town, Mm -hmm. when silver crashes, the unemployment rate skyrockets up to like 90%. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And even though the Browns were by no means wealthy, J.J. had been promoted up to an executive position. He was now the superintendent of all of the mining properties of this company that he worked for. So Maggie is able to volunteer in the soup kitchens to help the families of the miners. And then she also gets involved with feminist causes like the Colorado chapter of the National Americans National American Women's Suffrage Association. Okay. So this is 1893, and she's involved with women's suffrage. All right. Okay. This is 30, almost 30 years before women, women are allowed to vote. Uh, where's my spot all right so that same year jj has an idea so i don't know how mines work but the way this information kind of read it seems like silver was maybe closer to the surface and gold was deeper so like jj thought that if they were just able to dig a little bit deeper past the silver they could find gold in some of these mines So he develops this method to, like, hold back the sand to keep from falling in on them as they dig. And in 1893, the Little Johnny Mine, which is one of the mines that he is in charge of, struck struck gold. Wow. So by the end of October of that year, the mine was shipping 135 tons of gold ore per day.
0: That's
1: crazy. And in appreciation for this discovery, the company gave JJ 12,500 shares of the company and a seat on the board. Wow. So the browns are now millionaires like millionaires in 19 in 1893 millionaires so billionaires now probably it's 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 at least in the tens of millions probably hundreds of millions so in 1894 the browns buy this victorian mansion in denver and then three years later they buy they build a summer home in southwest denver and that kind of seems like that doesn't makes a lot of sense to me because, like, usually you have a summer home like way far right. away from your normal home. <laughs> like, if you're like of the money class, but like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, and then on the other side of town is our summer home. <laughs> but anyway, what do I know about having multiple homes? So this is when Maggie really kind of gets into philanthropy. So she becomes a charter member of the Denver Women's Club. She helps fundraise for the construction of Denver's Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception which is still around, and it's, like, a super gorgeous church. And she works with a local judge to help destitute children, and she actually helps lay the groundwork for the modern U.S. juvenile court system. Wow. So, like, whether or not you think that's a good thing or a bad thing, that's a pretty impressive yeah. thing. Right? Like, at the time, like, better than them being treated as adults, in theory. Mm-hmm. Um. so... The area, though, is still in a depression, and there's slums that are developing on the outskirts of town. And so Maggie works with a bunch of reformers and advocates to install public baths in the courthouse, and she also advocates for more public parks and other city improvements. Okay. Okay. And she's also furthering her own education that she had to cut short, so she attends the Carnegie Institute in New York. Does she sleep at all?
0: Because it sounds like she's going 24-7.
1: Unclear. Um, she's paying somebody to sleep, I think, at this Jeez. point. But she becomes fluent in French, German, Italian, and Russian. Wow. Yeah. So, she starts hosting parties in Denver that are attended by, like, the social sets. She, she becomes, like, a society lady. But she never actually gains, like, entry into, like, the most exclusive club, which is called the Sacred 36, which is apparently, like, back in the day, you used to, like, name your super secret clubs or whatever. So it's run by this woman, Louise Sneed Hill, and so she could never really get that in. And in the movie, this is kind of what they talked talk about her as being like new money, as if that's a bad thing. Like she's not a Rockefeller yeah. or an Aster, yeah. so like her money's not as good. Right?
0: Um can we make a club and name it?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's called the I don't have any money club.
0: <laughs> it's a super exclusive club. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anybody's welcome. Uh, you just have to also not have any money and be in a lot of debt. It's great. It's fun. So in 1901, Maggie runs for the state senate. Okay. Women again are not allowed to vote and she's running for state senate. So this defies all contemporary conventions. So apparently like the modern con- the, the convention of the time was that like a woman's name should only be in the paper three times when she's born, Married. when she's married. When she And when she dies. Yep. Have you heard that before? I've never heard that before. Well, I was a history major, so Uh, I study
0: women's history.
1: True, 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 true. So Maggie's not having any of that, right? She ends up uh, withdrawing from the race prior to the election, though. But by all accounts, this is like when she hits her stride. Like she becomes the strong, independent woman after this run, okay? so uh in 1902 Does it say what her browns go on, about all this it doesn't say but we'll kind of interesting we'll piggyback okay. into kind of what they what happens with that um but it doesn't specifically say what he thinks okay. so in 1902 the browns go on a world tour because that's also another thing you did when you had a lot of money you just traveled the world For like six months out of the year so they go to ireland and france and russia and india and japan Um, and maggie's fluent you know in like half of these (laughs) languages right i want to go so maggie yeah so maggie even wrote travel articles for her hometown newspaper about the caste system in india so like even when she's traveling she's working wow okay Unfortunately, the marriage to JJ was not successful, to answer your previous question, and they quietly separated in 1909. Again. So they didn't actually ever divorce. (laughs) Yes. They didn't divorce, but they signed a separation agreement where Maggie got a lot of cash. Uh, She got a cash settlement. She maintained ownership of both of the houses, and she received a monthly allowance, which was equivalent to like $20,000 in today's money per month to continue her travels and um philanthropies
0: yeah divorce was pretty much unheard of especially among people of quality like it was a no-no you would pretty much sign your own death warrant if you got divorced
1: yeah so they did not ever legally divorce but they did separate okay and so in 1912 maggie is traveling through egypt rome and paris with her daughter helen who is studying at the sorbonne okay and for some reason I don't know why. I have no idea how this got in my head. For some reason, I always, like, think of the Sorbonne as, like, a culinary institute, even though it's, like, one of the most prestigious universities in the entire world. But, like, for some reason, I hear Sorbonne and think, like, cooking school, which is so <laughs> not right and, like, disrespectful. <laughs> but It's not Le Cordon Bleu, dude. <laughs> I know. Maybe that's what it, maybe that's why like, I'm associating those two things. I don't know. I don't know how, but in my head, that's always, and I'm like, oh, no, that's, like, like Jackie Kennedy's. Went to school. Anyway, so she ends up having to cut her trip short when she finds out that her oldest grandson is severely ill. All right, so needing to book an immediate return trip back home to the States unplanned, Margaret books a first class cabin on the maiden voyage of the Titanic. So, now in case you were not a teenage girl in the mid 90s when the movie came out, let's talk a little bit about the ship, right? So the RMS Titanic was a British transatlantic ocean liner operated by the White Star Line. And the White Star Line was famous for its large ocean liners, which were being launched because they needed to compete with the Cunard Line, which had just launched two of the fastest ocean liners in service, a Lusitania and a Mauritania. Lusitania might be a familiar ship name to you if you're a history buff, because that ship also doesn't make it out of this decade. So the White Star Line says that if they can't make the fastest ships, They'll make the biggest and the most luxur- luxurious. And the reason that
0: the ships were so popular and famous back then is because, obviously, planes weren't invented yet. So if you wanted to yep. go anywhere, you had to take an ocean liner. And anyone of yep, quality so might as well travel did it frequently.
1: In, so. Yeah, and you might as well travel in, like, the height of luxury. Yes. Um, and, like, first-class tickets cost, like, $4,000 in 1912. Wow. So, yeah. So, like, anyway. But, um... So so the Titanic was the second of three of these ships that they're building. The first is the Olympic, and the third is going to be the Britannic. And Titanic is built in Belfast, Northern Ireland, but because this is, like, before the split of Ireland, it's just Belfast, Ireland, um, in 1911. It's almost 900 feet long. Its breadth is 92 and a half feet. It has a total height of 104 feet, and it displaces more than 52,000 tons of water, which is, like astronomical at the time so they have those pictures i don't know if you've seen these pictures where they have like the titanic compared to like a modern cruise ship and it looks like literally like a goldfish compared to like a shark like it's it's teeny tiny but in 1912 this was the biggest ship on the ocean it's just like the empire
0: state building was so impressive back then but now when we look at all the other things that we've built it doesn't seem so impressive same sort of exactly
1: yeah So, the interiors of the ship contain compartments which could be closed off by watertight doors, leading many to claim that the ship is unsinkable. So, the idea is if these compartments are breached, you just close the watertight doors before it gets to all the other compartments and you just sail on. You might lose some time, but you've just got water in a single
0: compartment and you can fix it and drain the water out eventually.
1: Yeah. So the maiden voyage was to be from Southampton, England, on April 10th, and they were going to arrive in New York Harbor on April 17th. And because they're traveling through the North Atlantic Ocean, they had been getting warnings from other ships about icebergs off the coast of Newfoundland, but or Newfoundland, but because the ship was, quote-unquote, unsinkable, contemporary thought was that icebergs weren't really a danger, because they were not not really a danger to ships this large, because... We had gotten past, like, we basically constructed past the danger of icebergs. Like, there had been a head-on collision a couple years before of a ship with an iceberg, and, like, there was no problem. Mm -hmm. So they just maintained their speed. They didn't slow down, weren't worried about it. Okay. The the ice warnings were more like advisories. So, nevertheless, uh, at April, nope, at 11.40 p.m. on April 40th, the lookout spotted an iceberg directly in the path of the ship. He calls down to the bridge, and the first officer ordered the ship to turn so that they would avoid the iceberg. But it wasn't enough, and it impacted the starboard side, which is the right side of the ship, causing a series of holes along the, the side of the ship below the waterline. So, the iceberg didn't actually puncture the hull of the ship, but it dented it to where, like, it, the hull opened at the seams. So, like, water's rushing in at the scene. i think that's
0: another misconception that people think too that just like the, the titanic hit this big iceberg and created yeah. a big hole there's like a big it, old it, hole the, yeah, yeah. It just scraped
1: but it, yeah see it if you've seen the movie you would know that they portray it as like across the side pretty accurate anyway um lost my spot so almost immediately five of the watertight compartments are flooded and all of a sudden, the unsinkable ship isn't so unsinkable anymore. That's too many flooded compartments. So in accordance with the safety standards of the time, Titanic only had 16 lifeboats, which was just enough to fill up to for about third of the passengers and crew had the lifeboats been filled to capacity. Okay. okay. But they weren't. So the crew began loading women and children into the lifeboats. And if there weren't any women and children around the immediate area, some men got to board and they also let some crew members onto the lifeboats because somebody's got to be in charge and somebody's got to do the rowing, okay? Mm-hmm. However, because the the ships on the the decks on the ship were divided by class, most of the women and children from first class made it to the lifeboats, fewer made it from second class, and even fewer made it from third class. So I was actually listening to this book, The Night to Remember by Walter Lord. It was like the first major book written about the sinking of the Titanic. And in that book he says that um, first class men had a higher survival rate than the children in third class.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Isn't that? And awful? I'm sure they
0: weren't like, "Oh wait, let's get more women and children." They were like, "Let's get in there."
1: Well, it was less that and more that they were the the third, like the steerage class was literally not allowed up to the main deck.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like at one point, they were told some of them were told, "Oh no, there's lifeboats on your deck." Yep which was just not true and have a day so yeah so not only that but the crew didn't fill this the lifeboats to capacity and it's thought that they hadn't been properly trained on how to load the lifeboats they never thought so they the were going to use like, them like, they're like well, there's yes, no reason but, to do this
0: because we're never going to need them
1: because the ship's unsinkable but like so the lifeboats are like hoisted up and they would like they would Put people in them and then as they lower them down to the water they thought if the lifeboats were filled to capacity that the weight of the people in the lifeboat would cause the lifeboat to break so the idea was that once they got to the water line they would complete the loading of the, the lifeboats that's kind of what they were saying, like, in hindsight as to why they weren't so loaded. So, people in, in are gonna just jump off the
0: deck into the lifeboat, or <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I don't know. But like, because it, it sucked so fast and it was so chaotic, it's kind of hard to know if that really was the plan and it didn't work out, or if, like, that just wasn't the plan. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, it's hard to know. So, unbeknownst to the crew, the White Star Line had actually reinforced the lifeboat so they wouldn't break apart, but nobody informed the crew so okay. Many of the lifeboats were filled to a quarter or a third of their capacity, like I said, with the intention of picking up more passengers when they got down to the water line. But the ship was sinking so fast and everything was so chaotic that this didn't happen. So less than three hours after the Titanic hit the iceberg, it went completely underwater. It sunk at 220 AM, or officially went submerged at 220 mm-hmm. AM. So back to Maggie Brown and why we're talking about her in the first place. So Maggie helped others into the lifeboats before she had to physically be picked up and placed in lifeboat number six. She wasn't gonna get on a lifeboat. She was still helping people get into lifeboats. And somebody said, you're going, picked her up, put her in lifeboat six. So this lifeboat was equipped to hold 65 passengers, but by the time it pushed off, it had only 21 women, two men, and a 12 year old boy. So not even half. And Maggie organized the women into rowing groups in order for them to keep warm. So basically keep moving, keep warm, because it's freezing Mm -hmm. out. And there's one crew member who, at one point, like, he basically freaks out. Like, they get kind of out where they can't see other lifeboats or they are not in close communication with other lifeboats, and the ship's gone under. And he's like, we have nothing. We're stranded. We don't know where we are. He freaks out, and she basically says, if you don't shut up, i'm gonna throw you into the water <laughs> so like that's kind of how she gets like her famous yeah so she takes control of the lifeboat and she's, too. She's, I, think, yeah, I think i think you wouldn't. would have as well <laughs> I, I don't know i i don't think i would have made it into a lifeboat in all honesty i i freeze in like those situations I don't like I'm not an actor in those situations. I think I would have died. Immediately. I would have like directed traffic. I would have told people to shut the hell yeah. up,
0: get in the boat, do it now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. She was she was like an order. She was like, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing it. You guys gotta row. You're taking this shift, you're taking this ship, blah, blah, blah. So um she also tried to convince the people on her boat to go back after the ship submerged to see if there's any survivors, but she actually cannot change anybody's minds. I don't so in understand the where Titanic, they think
0: they're going. They're like not, it's not like they're going to row to shore. Like what's no, the point of rowing when, away from the wreckage?
1: Well, because when the, when the giant ship went under, it sucked a lot of things down. So you had to get far enough away that you could. Right. But then prevent. you go back once the ship gets sucked well, down. And that's what she wanted. But then, but she couldn't convince anybody because the idea, the, the, the fear was that there would be so many people trying to climb into these lifeboats that they would be tipped over and they would all be in the water. Mm. So they said, we don't want to go I back. I that makes sense. Basically, But unfortunately for basically everybody involved, the water was 28 degrees. And nobody could survive longer than like 10 minutes anyway. Unless you're hammered. <laughs> yes, there was one guy, there was one crew member. <laughs> Who was drunk and he just like treaded water for a couple hours until he was rescued. Sweet, <laughs> that's <a> true story. <laughs> anyway, um, so I haven't found a definitive time of when lifeboat number six actually went into the water, but they were picked up at four thirty a.m. by the Carpathia. So at a minimum, they were rowing for two hours, likely longer. Okay. I don't know if you've ever yeah.
0: rowed before, but that's some freaking hard work. Can you imagine rowing for 2 I,
1: hours? I've never rowed an actual like vessel. I've I've used a rowing ergometer at the at the gym. That's, that's it. so I, it's hard work. Yeah. I believe it. So, uh, once on the Carpathia, Maggie helps console the non-English speaking survivors because she's fluent in multiple languages, so she immediately gets to mm-hmm. work. And she also organizes a survivors committee with other first-class survivors to secure basic necessities for the second and third-class survivors. So, by the time Carpathia reached New York three days after the accident, she'd raised more than ten thousand dollars. Dang, girl. Mm-hmm. So. Get it. Maggie's, Maggie's story of heroism made the rounds and she uses her newfound platform to talk about things that are important to her. So she's talking about labor rights, women's rights, education and literacy for children and historic preservation. So she like travels around and she helps open Titanic memorial uh, memorials like in different locations. Right. Mm-hmm. And she's not allowed to testify at the Senate hearing on the Titanic disaster because she's a woman. Uh. Yep. And that the worst I mean, it's not the worst we just talked about a, sh- a shipwreck but you know hyperbolically the worst so that her her children and grandchildren said that that fact bothered her for the rest of her life that she was never allowed that to tell her story. me too yep so meanwhile back in colorado miners in the town of ludlow had been on strike against the colorado fuel and iron company in an effort to gain safer working conditions and that strike came to a head on april 20th 1912 when a battle broke out between the miners and the security company that was hired to protect the company's land and materials so have you heard of this the ludlow massacre Mm
0: -hmm.
1: yeah so i had no idea she was involved in this but she was 20 people were killed in this Ludlow massacre including many women and children. So this was kind of like America's first like awakening to labor conditions, yeah. right? Yeah. So Colorado Fuel and, and Iron Company is a Rockefeller subsidiary and the Ludlow miners reach out to Maggie so to, to ask her to use her platform to help mm-hmm. them. And she does. So she speaks out about miners' rights and she uses the media pressure to force rockefeller to soften his stance with the miners and he agrees to make concessions and ultimately leads to a bigger push for things like child labor laws and eight-hour work days right i mean like the Ludlow massacre wasn't the catalyst for like the child labor laws and the eight-hour work days but it was like the start of a bunch of things that led to that mm-hmm. right so maggie also decides she's going to make a run for the u.s senate in 1914 get it girl But when World War I breaks out later that year, she withdraws from the race, and she travels to France to work for the American Committee for Devastated France. She ends up being awarded with the French Legion of Honor. Pretty impressive. For her work in World War I. (laughs) After World War I, she buys a house in Newport, Rhode Island, which is where all the old money summers at that time. And she starts, she kind of stops returning to Colorado. She's going less and less over the Mm -hmm. years. In 1922, J.J. Brown died. And remember, they had stayed married, yeah, technically. Yeah. Um, but because of his substantial spending habits and debt, Maggie only received $20,000 cash and a $100,000 trust, which Dang. is, I mean, it's about $1.5 mm-hmm. today. So, like, it's not nothing. But, like, compared to what they had know, he's, at one point. Yeah, like, he spent most of their money. So, in Newport, she becomes friends with Alva v- uh, Vanderbilt Ber- Belmont, and together, they become involved in the National Women's Trade Union League. And then she decides she wants to become an actress. OK, then. So she goes to Paris, and she performs on, on stage in Paris. And uh, she's she's acting in, like, Sarah Bernhardt character, like, Which roles. makes her like, even like, less,
0: like, socially desirable, like, because that was not, like... Because <laughs>
1: your actresses, yeah. yeah, that's a lowly job at the they time. They were pretty much considered the same as, like, sex workers. Sex workers, Yeah. <laughs> And so she's 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 a theater stage actress in Paris and New York, and she lives in the Barbizon Hotel in New York City, which was like, is one of those hotels that like catered to working women. So like, you could have a place to stay where you could congregate and you felt safe. Like it was, it was like a hotel that kind of like was like a weekly kind of a hotel. You mm-hmm. know, what you mean? like but a reputable. Wasn't one. like the Cecil Hotel. It was not <laughs> like the Cecil Hotel. Um. Hmm. So it's at the Barbizon that Margaret actually passes away in 1932. So Margaret Brown passed away in her sleep from what would later be determined to be a brain tumor. Oh, wow. She was only 65 years old. But still, she lived her very best freaking life in that 65 years. She lived every single day of those 65 years. She lived like four lives in that (laughs) 65 years. She was buried next to JJ in New York. Following a short ceremony attended only by friends and family. And there was no eulogy at her funeral. Uh, On her request? Unclear. I'm thinking yes. I can't imagine. Because by this time, her story had been out. Like, they were calling her the unsinkable Mrs. Brown. So I think that if it had made the news, that, like, it would have been a big ordeal. Hmm. Right? Interesting. So I'm thinking it was her request. Um, But... I don't know that to be sure. And so, as for the nickname, the unsinkable Mrs. Brown, it appears that either came from like a snide remark made by a Denver gossip columnist who was like, "Oh, we couldn't tell her story for because her story made the rounds in the East Coast papers first. Right? And it's like, oh, well, we can't we you know we can't tell her story in her hometown first. Well, the unsinkable Mrs. Brown, blah blah blah. Like so it's kind boo, of boo, one boo. of those or. <laughs> It came from a novelist who wrote a very loosely based romantic biography of Maggie Brown's life, talking about how, like, a waitress in Leadville marries rich and she goes on to start, like to work to travel the Titanic's maiden voyage and she saves all these like it's a very loosely based yeah. novel based on uh, Margaret Brown's life, but that is the story of Margaret Brown and it's so much more fascinating than just what, what you think of when you you think of her name, the unsinkable Mrs. Brown. She killed it. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? If we could all just, like,
0: have that kind of life, that would be pretty amazing. Dude. I don't have the time.
1: That's, like, what happens when you grab life by the balls. Yes. (laughs) Just do it. (laughs) It's honestly, like, if I had that kind of money, that's honestly, like, what I would like to do. Like, if I didn't have to work, I would love to do stuff like that. To like, to just work for charities and, like, just work for causes – Like, that are important to me, I would love to do that. But, like, it's not reasonable for me to, because I have, like, I have to have a job. But, like, if I ever hit the lottery, I would love to do that. She sounds, I mean, not the shipwreck part. Like, she
0: did what she wanted to do to make herself happy. And I feel like we Mm -hmm. would all be so much more content in life if we were able to do that, too.
1: Absolutely. And it was a time when you were supposed to think about what your husband thought. Like, you were supposed to consider that. And actually, you were supposed to do what your husband thought. And she's like, nah. In many ways, like, I feel like I would love to go back in time and that I
0: would really enjoy certain periods of history. But then I think about the issues with women's rights and the fact that we didn't have control of our bodies. We couldn't own property. We couldn't vote. We couldn't, you know, we couldn't inherit Things. Yeah. We couldn't divorce somebody. like There were so many things that women couldn't do and weren't allowed to do that I think people don't realize how limited a woman's ability to do anything mm-hmm. was. And her husband had complete control over her. He could beat her. He could rape her. And she had yeah. no recourse. And so she, she grew yeah. up with that and, and lived
1: through that. Yeah. And I think that when, like, in... 97 or in 64 when Night to Remember came out. You know, like, I think we, we hear the stories of the Margaret Browns and the Astors and, the, and the, the Strausses, like the Strauss family that started Macy's. Like, they both died on the Titanic. And we hear those stories, and it's, like, romanticized as, like, this, like, amazing story of sacrifice and will and determination and all this stuff. But those are, like, that's not the common right. person, the common person doesn't have right. Vanderbilt and, money. The common person doesn't have a department store that they they've started from scratch. And you know unfortunately,
0: I, mean? I think history is written from a perspective of the person with the department store rather 100%. than 100% the person who cleaned the floors in the department store. And I think that's why I was so I've always been so interested in social history and history of women and minorities because it tells the story of the unspoken of people that ha- aren't covered mm-hmm. in history books that mopped the floors and that sewed the clothes and that took care of the families. I always have just had such a fascination for the real parts of that. Like when I go to museums, I want to see the combs and the underclothes and the things from the people that actually mm-hmm. ran everything. Cause to me, yeah. it's, it's much more interesting than looking at some posh person's purse or shoes. Yeah. Although don't get me wrong, I want to see the person that shoes too, but I want to hear every I want to hear everyone's stories,
1: not just the person yeah. that owned the big fancy house. Well, because what happens is we we learn the perspective of the person that owns a big fancy house, and we think that's just how it was. That's not how it was for everybody. That's not how it was for ninety <clears> percent of the people. You know what I mean? So, but I thought I thought her story was amazing when I actually read it because I I knew about the Ludlow Massacre. I had no idea that she was like a negotiator in it. Like I had no idea that she was the first woman to run for U.S. Senate. Like I had no idea that she did all of this stuff, and she's just Dude, like... Dude, I wonder
0: if she's hanging out with the Eva or Ava Peron, Ava Peron, right now. <laughs>
1: they're Ooh, they're hanging, they're kicking it, they're talking, they're they're Dude, running through about stories. like a dinner party that you could have with anybody, dead or alive. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: those yeah. two. And Eleanor Roosevelt, throw her in there. Yes, the oh <laughs> I think I gosh. would like to like chat with Lady Bird Johnson too, like. Really? I think she's a pretty fascinating woman. Eh. She pretty much ran the whole presidency. She was the one that like, gave Lyndon Johnson his ideas. And if you know anything about her, like go live. there's a couple of podcasts about her. She was amazing. She pretty much ran the show. I don't think she gets any credit for it, but she pretty much directed
1: him. Are you sure you're not thinking of Edith Wilson? Nope. I'm talking about Lady Bird Johnson. Because Edith Wilson did that too. She like had advised
0: him, and he had had a, heart, a major heart attack. She advised him on you know, the presidency. I did like, there was all kinds of stuff know. that she was part of behind the scenes in kind of directing traffic that she doesn't get any credit for. And I, I, think, yeah, I think that's I the I case with a lot that. of women. I think that there were mm-hmm. many women back in the day that participated in the presidency, that helped their husbands, and that provided logical, intelligent political advice but got no credit for it because they were women.
1: Oh, I mean, Eleanor Roosevelt, for all intents and purposes, was our first female president.
0: Pretty much. I mean. Yeah. And they yeah. actually had put Lady Bird Johnson, considered putting her on the ticket, but then that kind of got pushed under yeah. the rug. Because I
1: guess technically Ethan Wilson might have been our first female president, because she, she really was in charge of everything after he had his stroke yeah and he was before fdr but
0: anyway so interesting and like there's so many really fascinating stories of our early u.s history that i think are are just waiting to be told and admired Mm and used as a cautionary tale and in some respects as well because i think we tend to put a lot of these people up on um, um a pedestal thinking that they're perfect and they have no Mm -hmm. flaws and they didn't do anything wrong and they helped found this country like George Washington and Thomas Mm -hmm. Jefferson and all these men that helped found this country. But there were also a a dark side. There was a very dark side to a lot of these men. Mm -hmm. They owned slaves. They had sex with their slaves. They did a lot of really bad things too. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think, sort of the conundrum that our country is in right now, does do those things, erase the good things that these people did. And it's It's a really challenging concept, and it's one that I think we have yet to tackle in a way that is satisfactory to anybody. Because you can go and you can remove the statues and you can remove them from the history books, but there's still stuff that they did, both bad and good, that needs to be discussed.
1: I don't think... Well, first of all, I don't think anybody's trying to remove anybody from history books. I think the thing is not to erase them, but to get a fuller picture of them. And that sometimes ruffles some feathers for certain groups of people because it's a hard thing to admit to that they're complex people that did good and bad.
0: I think there are a lot of people that wish that some of the founding fathers of this country would disappear, that their names would disappear because of some of the things that they've done.
1: Well, I mean, that's just simply not going to happen. Like, that just, that's just an impossibility. But I think it behooves everybody to have a fuller picture, a better understanding of who they really were and not just the stories that they wanted told.
0: It's an interesting, interesting sort of a question that we're now dealing with in this country, because I think that so many of us were sort of whitewashed into believing these fantastic stories about men like Andrew Jackson and George Washington Mm -hmm. and and Thomas Jefferson, that they are these paragons of men that did so much for the country when, in fact, there were some very bad things that they did, too. So I don't want to get you know too deeply into that. But it's just it's very interesting, because I'm sure that not everything Molly Brown did was fantastic, either. I'm sure mm-hmm. she had her moments where she did things that weren't necessarily agreeable, either. But it's harder to hear about those things now. Whoa.
1: Yeah. Sounds like there's a hurricane outside. I heard that one. That was wild. <laughs> Um, yeah, but I mean, I think the thing that really, like, impressed me was in that depression in Denver in 1893. Like, yes, they were not impoverished, they were not homeless, but they were not who they later became. Mm. And she still went to organize and volunteer in soup kitchens. Like, she grew up seeing that kind of food insecurity, home insecurity, that kind of instability, And when she was, as soon as she was in a place where she could help others, she did. And I think that's kind of like the biggest thing. And like the second she got on the Carpathia, she starts organizing all of these other first class people. And it's like, look, we have second and third class people that survived that have to start over. They can't go back to their second and third homes it was and a she very to very
0: hard time to be poor in this country because there yeah. weren't any social services there wasn't social security there wasn't welfare there was nothing to catch those yeah. people they had to depend on soup kitchens and family charity like they and charity charitable ladies from society with organizations that had money it, and it was
1: them. it was a bigger thing in society back then to donate to those causes that was like a it, that was how a one way you could like increase your social standing is like you went to events that were benefiting like poor people and stuff like that like that was part of your responsibility as like the one percent much more so than it is now but just the fact that like she's you know she she went and she learned a bunch of languages and then that became useful when she was talking to people who are immigrating from Europe to America you know after the after the accident and she's able to help them and I mean, she got blankets together. She, I mean, she saw, helped sew so clothes. Like, it's just she did a lot of stuff at a time when I think I probably would have been, like, weeping or I would have already died. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I, w- like Jeez, I would have stars, already been have dead- little credit. No, I think we both know that I would not survive in a life or death situation. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Jeez, I, have, I have no survival
1: <laughs> skills. I, this, this is not a secret. I have no survival. I would not last in an apocalyptic situation. I would be the first one to die, but I know that, and I know that my role is to be eaten by the zombies so that you can use that time to get away. <laughs> this is my role. On I've the other hand, it. I grew up learning <laughs> survival skills, how to build a yeah. shelter,
0: how to put, make a survival kit in a matchbox. <laughs> <laughs> Dude,
1: my dad is so outdoorsy, so like my mom got us, this is like a completely random thing, my mom got me like this, and um, like... Car, or I guess it's like a if you're stranded somewhere emergency kit, so it's got like a, you know a flashlight and it's got like a compass and it's got like all that kind of stuff that, like, you know, I don't know, how, know how to how use most is. of it, <laughs> but it has this um magnesium like lighter fire starter thing, uh-huh. you know, where you like hit two things together. And like, so my mom is like, You and your dad have to like start a fire and send a video to me, she's like testing it's you. <laughs> a, no, she just wanted to like, she wanted to see if it would work, really, okay. and so like. So, like, we're doing it, and my dad, like, so we, my, well, first of all, my dad's like, yeah, we can use some Vaseline and some cotton, and I'm like, Vaseline is flammable? And he's like, yes. I was like, oh, count that as a thing I just learned. So, Vaseline's <laughs> flammable, if you didn't know that. Um, so, we get, like, it some cotton It keeps it burning
0: for a long period of time, too. So, if you put it, like, on a torch, it will keep it burning.
1: another thing I just learned. <laughs> see, see, this is what I should... That this is information I should you know, have, in case you have to 36 if I'm going to live like in a Indiana life or death Jones. situation. No. <laughs> I should have had the information long before 36 if I was ever to survive an apocalypse situation. Well, but anyway, you know. So we're doing this thing, it and it's like, is. you're not... So like, I can't get it to work. And my dad gets to work, till, like, the first time. And he goes, you would not survive. And I'm like, well, I I know, I know that. that. Whose I fault is that? You that. didn't teach me any of this. <laughs> I didn't say that. But, but I'm like, you're telling me something I already know. So yeah, so anyway, I... I have no survival skills. That's not a a new fact for anybody that knows me.
0: (laughs) That's why it's like, you know, when this whole COVID thing hit, like I was just talking to somebody about this the other day, um, and I was by myself at the house in San Diego, and Mike was already in Rockford, and the whole grocery store thing hit Mm -hmm. where we had the shortages of the toilet paper, and there was no Mm -hmm. food, and... Like, you walked into the grocery store, you couldn't get flour, you couldn't get sugar, you couldn't get noodles, Mm. you couldn't get any frozen goods, you couldn't get meat. Like, I thought to myself, okay, this is it. (laughs) What if I have to go out and kill some rabbits to survive? You really thought that? Yes. Oh my gosh. I was like, what if this is it? Are we all going to die? Like, who's going to survive and who's going to be the ones to like... It's definitely not me. And I was like, okay, I've got this house, you know, I've got a car, I've got gasoline and two cars, I've got this, I've got candles, I've got, you know, and I was like doing this mental inventory
1: in my head, like if I want oh, to survive. I for a night, like if the power goes out in a storm. How, how long do I have to survive and what can if I you, use If I this? have to procure my own food, oh no, that's, it's what, like three days that I could live without food before I die? <laughs> like that's... <laughs> There is no procuring my own food. And we had an outdoor fireplace. I was
0: like, okay, I've got 10 pounds of flour. I could make
1: biscuits for two days. I could do that. I was just like breaking it down. Nope. (laughs) And luckily... I don't have internet, I don't know how to look that up. Like, luckily, Mike was just
0: like so amazing. Like, he had stocked our refrigerator and freezer from Costco. Like, we had like pounds and pounds and pounds of meat. And the thing is, that stuff, if you don't have any power... And you keep the refrigerator cold can last. It can last a long for a while. Time so I was like, okay, what could I do? We have salt, so I could put the meat in the salt and
1: preserve. Oh my it. God, you were going to go straight up Oregon Trail.
0: <laughs> I was. I was going to have to kill the neighbors and <laughs>
1: protect <laughs> my food. <laughs> well, I'm glad you moved so that you don't have to kill those neighbors. Now you have new neighbors you can kill.
0: Well, there's geese and squirrels and all kinds of wildlife here that we could kill. Turkeys, wild oh turkeys. God. So I'm good. <laughs>
1: I'm mean, like literally. I would need enough gas to like take my dog to my dad's and be like, "This is it. Let me walk off into the wilderness because I'm dying. <laughs> <laughs> like, take care of my dog. <laughs> like, I have Bye. nothing. <laughs> I'm so I'm so useless. Like Yikes. I'm I'm like hurtful. Like I'm harmful." in a situation where you need somebody to be useful. Okay, like I, would I, don't want, I don't want to you. be
0: anywhere near you when the apocalypse goes down. That's what I'm saying.
1: Use my death as time to get away. Yeah.
0: That's, I think Mike would be a good person to be stuck in the apocalypse with too because he knows how to build stuff. He knows that he took mm. we have a vacuum cleaner. He took that little sucker apart from head to toe into each individual piece cleaned it and put it back together. I'm like what? In the for real right now? <laughs> The wizard. <laughs> this is shocking. It's like an old vacuum too. It's not like yeah. one of those newfangled ones that has like four pieces. It has like a thousand pieces. He nice. took it all, all apart from. Th- uh, no. Yeah. Sign See, me up. Yeah, <laughs> I'll do the he's, survival. He's the I'll mechanical. build the shelter. You're the, yeah. You're <laughs> the <cut>. hunter gatherer. <laughs> <laughs> and I have just been feeling this tremendous need to garden lately. So I went to the store really? the other day and I bought like hundred packets of seeds. I'm going to like, I planted you- cilantro, I planted mint, I planted lavender. I, hate cilantro. Like, I planted the heck out of this stuff. I got all kinds of like flowers, echinacea, sunflowers. Did you plant it outside? I planted some inside and some outside. Oh,
1: okay, okay.
0: My yard is going to be amazing when spring hits fully. Is it... Can
1: you plant them now or is it too cold?
0: No, you can plant now. You can oh, plant okay. anywhere from, well, like beginning of April through some of the stuff I haven't See? planted yet. But this is be- again, another fact that I don't know. <laughs> beginning of April through August is when you should plant. But the thing is, I buy you, my herbs. If you want stuff to really grow and be significantly ripe and mature, you should probably plant it somewhere in between the middle of April and August. Oh. But hmm. it depends on See? where you are too in the country. Like Right. Obviously, it's California. You can plant any time of the year here. Yeah.
1: Man, I'm so excited about year-round fresh produce. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a well while before I get to move back out there. But uh,
0: But the thing is, I'm like, excited. everything comes from Mexico now anyway. So even if you're in the Midwest, you still get good stuff. So,
1: yeah, but, but not in season.
0: But I want to grow my own stuff. Then I don't have to worry We get about
1: like, it. like in winter, we get crappy produce here. But anyway, anything else you want to add? it's time to wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to go ahead and wrap <laughs> up. it up. No, don't rely on me in a survival situation, but I think I made that clear. I think I drove that point home. So in summation, <laughs> in summation Molly Brown was unsinkable. Molly Brown is who you want. Darcy, Darcy is who you not do not so want. Much.
0: <laughs> Darcy is <laughs> not sinkable. the one. Yeah, And I'm not sick of because I'm chubby and buoyant.
1: <laughs> I would float to the surface. And since I'm so drunk all the time, I would survive. <laughs> I'm a pretty good swimmer, but I don't think I could make it in 28-degree weather. I don't think I could be like that guy and just tread water for I hours. I would be so
0: hammered that I would survive. That would be how it would go down. Uh,
1: <laughs> honestly, honestly, this is my lasting note. I would give up so fast.
0: No way. <laughs> Dude, I would drink an entire bottle of whiskey.
1: 100%. I would be totally nope. hammered,
0: and I would, that like, would make float me give it out, and I would be good to go. I would be... S- I would be
1: so bold and so brave on that whiskey. <laughs> Ass- like assuming, assume- and do leave this part in there because I do want this in there. Assuming the water's warm enough for me to like tread water, if I'm in there for longer than half hour, I'm like, I'm out. Later days. This is boring. It up. Like I, I, I can't see an end to this, so I'm just out. Like I would give up so hard. Yeah. That that's honestly legit what I would do.
0: That's kind of sad,
1: Darce. Well, I'm just saying. <laughs> Although you know what, reading about the Titanic, and this is another weird like Darcy thing. Reading about the Titanic, I was like, I kind of want to take a transatlantic ocean it trip. It sounds amazing. Like instead of flying to like England, I want to like take a ship, like right. as I travel. Go for it. And, like, not a cruise. Like I don't want to like just get on a cruise. Although I'm afraid I would get I seasick. Take a ship. Those the really big ones, you can't even tell they're moving.
0: Well then, okay then, good to go.
1: So, is what I'm told. I've actually never been on a cruise, but from what I'm told, hmm. you can't even tell they're moving.
0: Okay then, so. good times.
1: Anyway, that's <laughs> that's how I want to leave it.
0: <laughs> well, in that case, please rate, review, and subscribe to our little podcast. Let us know how we're doing. Um, no c- criticism unless it's constructive and, and nicely worded. <laughs> I'm narrowing it down. I'm manifesting the positive thoughts. There are
1: constraints.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So um, please join us again next week. But in the meantime, you can go check out our Instagram. Darcy, what's that at?
1: Yeah, we are at the BFD Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So we'll post some awesome pictures. There's a lot of pictures of Molly Brown. She looks like Kate, Kathy Bates. It's weird.
0: crazy. But anyway,
1: and, and the Titanic and all that good stuff. You can so.
0: email us too, though. We're at the podcast at com, And we definitely like hearing from you guys. We've got a couple that we'll probably read in one of the upcoming episodes that are kind of fun. And until then... Please join us next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases and just amazing people as well. Um, Damn it. (laughs) Stay safe.
1: Uh, Keep it real.
0: Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.